We are continuing our sermon series through the feasts uh, that are given to us or given to the church Israel in Leviticus chapter 23. And so this morning we're going to begin there with uh, the Feast of Trumpets and how it's described. And then we're going to jump to uh, Nehemiah chapter 7 and 8. Uh, and that will be the passage that we will look at uh, in terms of helping to explain uh, the Feast of Trumpets this morning. So let's begin in Leviticus chapter 23. Um, I believe the text will be on the screen. It's in page number 120 in your pew Bibles. Hear the word of the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. Now turn to Nehemiah. That's page number 474 and 475. We're looking at Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 73, which is the very end of that chapter through verse 12 of chapter 8. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. On the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mataniah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masaiah, and his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashum, Hashabadana, and Zechariah, and Mushalam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shibathiah, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kalaita, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone 
who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our God. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. This is the word of the Lord. Scripture teaches us uh, that a time is coming when Jesus uh, will return to this earth in exactly the same way that he left. And when he returns, he is going to judge the living and the dead. He is going to set up his eternal kingdom, and he is going to make all things new. And when that happens, there will be essentially three different kinds of people. There will be those who had no idea that he was coming at all. They will be completely taken by surprise. And the thought that Jesus is real and that they will have to answer to him on that day is so far from their mind that they will hardly be able to believe what is happening as it is happening. But when Jesus does come, they will have to bend their knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Another category of person on that day will be those who did know that Jesus is coming. And on some level, to a greater or lesser degree, they believed that it was true that he would come again because they had heard all the stories. But when he does come, they will not be ready. This is the point of Jesus' parable of the ten virgins Uh, The bridegroom was delayed, all the virgins fell asleep, and when they woke up, five of them had prepared. They were ready. They had extra oil for their lamps, and so they were able to go out and be with the bridegroom and go into the wedding feast, but the other five were not prepared. They were not ready. They did not have oil for their lamps, and that parable concludes this way. This is what Jesus says. He says, afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So they knew he was coming, but because they weren't ready, Jesus says to them, I don't know you. And then there is a third category of person. On that day, when Jesus returns, these will be those who know that he is coming. And they will not only be ready for him to be coming or to be here, but they will be eagerly waiting for him. The writer of the Hebrews says this, he says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Friends, we want to be those who know he's coming, who are ready for him to come, and who in the meantime are eagerly waiting for him. And the Feast of Trumpets helps us accomplish that. 
Of the seven Old Testament feasts that we've looked at so far in this sermon series, we've covered uh, the first four, which took place during the spring. And now we begin to look at the final three feasts, which take place after the summer and after the fall harvest. The first four are meant to help us live in light of Christ's first coming. The final three feasts uh, are meant to help us live in light of Christ's second coming coming and it all starts with the feast of trumpets which we will learn about this morning and the feast of trumpets does three things which which incidentally is my outline this morning Uh, the first thing the feast of trumpets does is it makes us know he is returning the second thing it does is it makes us ready for his return and finally the feast of trumpets makes us eager for his return so point number one It makes us know he is returning. When this feast is first prescribed to the people of Israel, you may have noticed that we only read a couple of verses describing what it's for. And as we read, it simply said that it's a day of rest, a day of worship, and a day for blowing a trumpet. Uh, And it's supposed to take place on the first day of the seventh month of the year. Uh, There is really no other significant information given to us about the Feast of Trumpets in the book of Leviticus. So even if we turn, though, to uh, Numbers 29, where this feast is mentioned again, all that we're told there is what sacrifices need to be made on this day. There is no other information given to us to describe what the purpose is of the Feast of Trumpets. Essentially, the Feast of Trumpets is simply a day for you to blow the trumpets. That's it. The Feast of Trumpets occurs on the first day of the seventh month, uh, but the Hebrew calendar is a little different uh, than our calendar because they would track the months based on the new moon, uh, which made the first day of the seventh month kind of a floating holiday. It would show up sometime toward the end of September or the beginning of October, uh, which means that the day of uh, Trumpets was a day of celebrating the end of the fall harvest in the beginning of the fall festivals, which we will learn about in the next two weeks. We're going to learn about the Day of Atonement and uh, how that teaches the Israelites that God will accept a substitute in place of their sin. And then we're going to learn about the Feast of Booths, uh, where we learn that the Christian life is a life that's supposed to be meant in day in and day out dependence on God. But is that all the Feast of Trumpets is? Is it just a day of recognizing the end of the fall harvest and getting ready for the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Booths? Well, it's certainly not less than that, but it is so much more. The trumpet is one of those biblical images that actually spans the whole of Scripture. We first uh, see the trumpet being used in Exodus chapter 9 uh, when God is assembling the people of Israel before Mount Sinai. Right? This is the scene where he, he is thundering and lightning at the top of the mountain. And the people are all below and they're terrified and God is about to read to them or give to them the Ten Commandments. And this is what we read. It says, When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they, the people, shall come to the mountain. And then a little later, it says, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. And so here, the trumpet blast is associated with the perfect demands of God's law uh, in his terrible and frightening presence. And it's the sound that God uses to assemble the people before him. Uh, If we follow the trumpet 
concept farther into scripture, we come to uh, the book of Joshua, uh, where Joshua is bringing the people into uh, the land, and the first city that they conquer is Jericho. And what they do there is they march around the city for six times, or one time for six days, and then on the seventh day, they march around the city for seven times. Or sorry, the seventh, okay, let me start over. For six days, they march around it one time, and then on the seventh day, they march around the city seven times, and then on the final time around the sea, the seventh time around, on the seventh day, they blow the trumpet, and guess what happens? The walls come tumbling down. And so here we see that the trumpet imagery is associated with uh, God's victory for his people and the defeat of God's enemies. And throughout the history of Israel, we see trumpets being used to gather armies together and to send them out. We see Gideon doing this, uh, Joab, who was King David's general. We see him doing this and various others. Uh, The trumpet was also used by the watchman of the city. Uh, So the watchman would be the man who was on the walls. And he was the one who was charged with watching to make sure that enemies, you know, were coming, that they would know about it in time. So if they would see enemies approaching an army coming, they would blow the trumpet and that would be the signal to everyone in the city that an enemy was coming and that they needed to be ready. Uh, Zadok, the priest, and Nathan, the prophet, they blew a trumpet when they anointed Solomon king. Uh, And so the son of David was made king of Israel with the blowing of a trumpet. The Old Testament prophets used the trumpet in different ways. They spoke of it being used to gather God's people at the end of time to come and worship him. And they spoke of the trumpet being used to signal the great and terrible day of the Lord when he finally comes at the end of history to judge his enemies. Joel chapter 2 verse 1 says this, Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. So to summarize, um, the trumpet blast is a signal for God's people to gather in his presence where his law is to be made known. It is a signal for the armies of the Lord to gather. It is a signal uh, meant to help us see the defeat of God's enemy and the victory of God's people. It is a signal for the coronation of a king. It is a signal for the great and terrible day of the Lord at the end of time when God will judge his enemies ultimately. And and maybe by now you're starting to see that this imagery is picked up from the Old Testament and it is applied in the New Testament to Jesus Christ. When Christ comes, that's when God will gather all of his people, the church. God will make his law and his presence perfectly known and those who belong to christ will be gathered together with him in victory and those who do not belong to christ will be judged and defeats first thessalonians 4 16 says this for the lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of god and the dead in christ will rise first revelation eleven fifteen says this Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So, the Feast of Trumpets is meant to point us to all of this imagery of trumpets throughout the span of Scripture. It's meant to point us to the time when Jesus, at the end of time, will receive his kingdom, and it's meant to make us know that Jesus is returning, okay? Which takes us to point number two and makes us ready for his return. 
Um, so as we've just seen, the Feast of Trumpets signals the end of time, uh, which means when that final trumpet blast comes, it will be too late to repent of our sin and to trust in Christ alone for salvation. At that point in time, everyone's fate will be sealed, and all that will be left to do is for Jesus to separate the righteous from the unrighteous or the sheep from the goats. Um, the Feast of Trumpets points to this great and terrible day of the Lord when history will be brought to a close. Now, uh, since the Old Testament is also pregnant with this idea, as we have just seen, uh, it was also reflected in Judaism as the Feast of Trumpets developed throughout the history of Israel, to the point where Jews began to call this holiday Rosh Hashanah, which simply means the beginning of the year. Uh, so the Feast of Trumpets is now when the Jews celebrate their new year. You might hear about this sometimes, like during the month of September, when they talk about Rosh Hashanah and the Jewish New Year. Um, it's uh, something that gets onto the news. I've, I've heard it before as well, but never understood it quite as much as I do now after studying for this sermon. And so the reason this happened was because the rabbis started to reflect on the Feast of Trumpets and all of the biblically, biblical imagery surrounding it, and they began to shape their tradition accordingly using all of that imagery. And then they added things. So for example, they started saying that Adam and Eve were created on the first day of the seventh month. Uh, they began to track the Sabbath years based on the new year being the first day of the seventh month. They tracked the year of Jubilee based on that same calendar as well. And they began to see that the Feast of Trumpets marked the beginning of something old and the start of something new. And then the rabbis also noticed little things like in the book of Ezra, the exiles from Babylon arrived back in Jerusalem in time for the seventh month and the Feast of Trumpets. And so this all makes a lot of sense because there's something significant about the end of the fall harvest where the agricultural life comes to an end and the new year, right, they, they, the, the, all the plants go into hibernation. And it's the end of this life cycle and the beginning of a new life cycle. The Feast of Trumpets really does point to the end of something old and the beginning of something new. And so now we know that when that final trumpet blast comes and Jesus descends from heaven and history is complete, the righteous and the wicked will be judged and it will be the ultimate end of this life cycle and the ultimate beginning of a new life cycle will be here. Okay, I know that was a lot. I was drinking out of a fire hydrant. But what I would like you to do is take whatever you were able to gather from all that and let's think about uh, the feast that we've studied so far in our sermon series. Um, the Passover marks the fact that God rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt by the blood of the lamb. Uh, the feast of unleavened bread marks the fact that holiness is the response God requires from people who he has redeemed out of slavery. Uh, the feast of first fruits reminds us to trust and worship God by giving back to him the very best of everything that he has given to us. And then last week, we saw that the Feast of Weeks reminds us that God's call to obedience and faithful service is a high calling that at times can seem like too much. But through the Feast of Weeks, we were reminded that God supplies us with his word, 
He also supplies us with his spirit so that we actually have all of the resources to do the things that he is calling us to do. Which actually means that if we don't repent of our sin and take advantage of those resources, we will be without excuse when that final trumpet blast comes. And this is how the people of Nehemiah's time felt. So now we're to the passage that we read alongside Leviticus 23 this morning. So that scene uh, picks up after the time of the judges, after Saul and David and Solomon, after the kingdom of Israel is divided, after the exile in Babylon, and almost a hundred years after the Israelites have returned back to Jerusalem after the exile in Babylon. In fact, this scene comes at the very end of the history of Israel in the Old Testament, and we see that the people of Israel still haven't learned. And so the people are gathered together, and Ezra stands up to read the law. And this is what we read. It says, So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month, which we now know is the Feast of Trumpets. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And then later, in the same passage, we're told this. The Levites read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So just to get the picture here, the people are all standing. Ezra is reading from the law for for six to eight hours. And everybody was listening attentively. After reading for six to eight hours, the Levites came down and began to explain everything to everybody so that they all understood. So what you have is attentive listening combined with understanding, okay? And you can only imagine what they understood. They understood that God had graciously redeemed them out of slavery by the blood of the lamb with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, the Passover. They understood That God requires holiness as the only reasonable response to the grace that he has shown them. Feast of unleavened bread. They understood the call to live lives of worship and trust and to give God the first fruits of all their produce. And they also understood that God has supplied them with every resource they need by his word and his spirit to live lives of obedience and faith. And here they are on the first day of the seventh month, hearing the trumpet blast meant to point to the great and terrible day of the Lord when it will be too late to repent. And they realize that they deserve God's judgment. And here's their response. All the people wept as they heard the words of the law. So how does the Feast of Trumpets Make us ready for Christ's return. Because it's not the end. It's not the end. It's not the great and terrible day of the Lord when it's too late to repent. It's a fire drill. It's a wake-up call 
so that we come to our senses and realize that we must turn from our sin if we're going to be ready on that day, and that God and his grace is giving us another opportunity to experience the upcoming day of atonement and to remember that God is willing to punish a substitute in their place. It's another opportunity to celebrate the upcoming Feast of Booths and remember that a life of faith is really a life of complete and utter daily dependence on God. The Feast of Trumpets was this yearly consistent reminder that the life of faith, right, is one where we trust God and we need to wake up and take stock of our lives and ask ourselves, am I ready So the Feast of Trumpets makes us know Christ is returning. It makes us ready for his return. And finally, it makes us eager for his return. So imagine with me, if you will, that you are a child. You can all remember back to being a child, okay? Now imagine with me, if you will, that your father is a police officer. This may be more or less difficult for some of us. It's probably easier if your last name is Portinga. But imagine, right? Imagine that your child and your father is a police officer. Now imagine that it's the middle of the night and you hear somebody break in. So you crawl underneath your bed. You're terrified because you don't know who it is. And you hear them talking to each other about taking the electronics and, and taking the musical instruments and taking the guns and your heart is just pounding out of your chest because you're too afraid to even leave your room and go try to get your mom. Now imagine that you hear police sirens. Now imagine those sirens are getting closer and closer and louder and louder. Can you imagine what it would feel like sitting there under that bed? I mean, you'd be just filled with delight. I think I would start weeping because I know, I know that, that someone's coming to rescue me. Now imagine how the criminals would feel when they hear police sirens and those sirens are getting closer and closer and louder and louder, right? They would be totally freaked out and they'd be tripping over themselves to try to get out of there. You see, when you're a child of God, you are eagerly waiting for the sound that signals your father is coming to rescue you. But when you're a criminal and a rebel against his kingdom, that same sound puts fear into your heart. You see, the Feast of Trumpets is a constant reminder that one day God will return to save his people and to judge his enemies. It is a constant reminder to ask ourselves, am I taking his grace for granted? Or am I being trained by his grace? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says to Titus. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. Do you ever think about that? God's grace is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Why? Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's training us to be children. So we love the sound of our Father coming to rescue us. 
It is God's grace that trains us to renounce our sin and to live upright and self-controlled lives. And how does it do that? By reminding us through the Feast of Trumpets that the end is coming when grace will no longer be offered. But that today, today, There's, a, there's an abundance of it. The constant reminder that God has redeemed us from sin and given us every resource we need to live a life of holiness and faith. And yet over and over and over again, we refuse to trust him. We keep our sin, we keep returning to it like a dog returning to its vomit. We get caught up in this world and everything that it promises us and God and his kingdom fade to the back. Coming to church sometimes is is just a routine where we come to see our friends and to keep up appearances. Our Bibles so easily collect dust on our shelves. Our Bible apps get uploaded back to the cloud because that's what our phone does with apps we don't use. And most of us, we, we like to, and I'm, I include myself in this, we like to think of ourselves day in and day out as if we're not all that bad, as if sin is just murder, adultery, and drunkenness. But, but sin, is, sin is primarily simply ignoring God. It's only thanking him when we get something we desire. And if we don't know our Bibles, we can't be or do what his law requires. And we can't even be convicted by his law because we don't even know how far from it we've drifted in our lives. And it doesn't take long with that kind of drifting before our lives look just like this world. Sure, we might be able to meet the outward standards of our culture here because nobody can know for sure how far our hearts are from God. You see, we need to hear the trumpet blast of the Feast of Trumpets so we can be reminded that those who aren't ready will be shut out of the kingdom. Like the parable that we opened with this morning where the bridegroom says, truly, I do not know you. But then when we see that that's That it's just the Feast of Trumpets. (laughs) It's not the final trumpet blast. And we see that his amazing grace, he's giving us another chance to truly repent of our sins and to trust in him alone. That is the thing that melts our hearts above all else. How is it that this holy God who has already done so much for me would also bear with me for so long as I shake my fist at him, as I ignore him, and I worship all of his gifts instead of him, how can he bear with me for so long when I'm not surrendering my heart totally and completely to his? When we hear the trumpet sound of the Feast of Trumpets, we are reminded that God has called us to be holy. He's empowered us to be holy and that we have chosen our sin again. And yet, and yet, because of his great love for us, the invitation still stands to remember 
the ultimate day of atonement. When God himself in the person of Jesus Christ suffered the penalty of our sin in our place. Friends, repentance is necessary. It's necessary. We are called to turn from our sin every day. The Christian life is the life of living with a clear conscience before the Lord. In total dependence on him. That is the Christian life, and that is the life the Feast of Trumpets teaches us by its grace that we have another chance to live today. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says this. And this is the verse that uh, the song Your Mercy was hinting at earlier today. It says, or do you presume... On the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. You see, when we see this, when we see and understand all that God has done for us, not just to save us, not just to empower us to be holy, but to bear with us in patience and kindness as he leads us to repentance. It not not only makes us ready for his return, but it makes us eager for it. Because we want to be free from this war with sin that we fight every day. And we want desperately to meet the God who loves us so much. That picture of a child just waiting for its father to come and rescue him. That's the picture of an eager soul longing for Christ to come. I want to close with uh, our passage from Nehemiah verses 9 through 12. This is, this is what these people are experiencing. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Do you know what they understood? They understood that they deserved God's judgment. They understood that they were not in a place on the last day of the sixth month. But because of the Feast of Trumpets, because they've been reminded of God's mercy and grace, and because they were broken and truly repentant, they were able to come And receive God's grace again and again and again and again. The same God is reaching out to each one of us today. Pleading with us to repent of our sin and to trust in him alone. So that we might know he is turning. That we might be ready for it. And that we might be eager for it. Let's pray.
Father, we come to you and we are so grateful for the reminders all throughout Scripture, which the Feast of Trumpets is but one, that one day you are returning and that we want to be that child of yours who is eagerly waiting to be rescued from this war that we fight day in and day out with our own sin. Father, we long to see your kingdom and to be a part of it, to see you face to face and to become like you. Father, we long for that moment. And yet, Father, I'm concerned that there are others even within our congregation who are not ready, Father. They're not eager for your return. Their sin appeals to them day in and day out more than the thought of your glory and your kingdom and your grace. So I pray, Father, that this reminder today that the Feast of Trumpets is but a fire drill, but a warning, would be the thing that you use to draw them into deep repentance and the full experience of your grace, that they might live daily dependent on your grace and your mercy because our sin is so great. We pray this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.